some of the things that we're trying to do is shape even HR. We're moving from a kind of managing by policy, which HR is famous for, to managing by principles. What are the principles, the guiding principles around work? You know, and so, for example, one of the guiding principles for us is, you know, we, we trust and believe in the empowerment in our employees. But we also believe in communities and we believe in working together across what we call a network. That was Coca-Cola SVP and Global Chief People Officer, Lisa Chang. I really enjoyed this conversation with Lisa and talking about the complexity and scope of Coca-Cola's business and operations, how they've adapted during the pandemic and what their plans are moving forward. So really excited to bring that conversation to you after a brief word from our sponsor. Redefining HR, one podcast at a time. Support for the Redefining HR podcast comes from PIN. PIN is building the world's first employee-centric communications tool, enabling your employees to automatically receive helpful messages at key moments throughout their journey, from onboarding to promotions and everywhere in between. PIN helps companies battle communication overload and puts your employees in control over when and how they receive information. Go to PINHQ.com for more information. That's P-Y-N-H-Q.com. And reinvent employee communications for the distributed workplace. And now, on to the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Redefining HR Podcast. I'm your host, Lars Schmidt. And today, I am really excited to be joined by Lisa Chang. Lisa is the SVP and Global Chief People Officer at Coca-Cola. And there's a lot going on in a role like that in today's world of HR. And so I'm really excited to get into that and explore that with her. So Lisa, thanks so much for coming on the show. If you wouldn't mind, uh, why don't you just start off with a, a brief introduction for our listeners? Great. Thanks, Lars. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here with the audience today. As you said, I am the SVP and Global Chief People Officer of the Coca-Cola Company and i um, been with the company now a little over two years. Um, came from outside the industry and outside the company, but um, have been with a lot of brand companies, most recently coming from sports and entertainment and media, and um, always wanted the opportunity to have impact at a global scale around people initiatives and efforts, and no better place than Coca-Cola, where we're in over 200 countries to be able to do that. So I'm delighted to be here with you today. Yeah, well, there, there's so much that I, I want to explore with you in your current role, but I want to, you know, kind of jump towards the beginning um, before we kind of get to the present. And, and let's talk about the start of your career. What, what originally drew you to HR? Well, um, it was sort of a backup plan, if you will. I was supposed to go to medical school according to the parents' life plan, which many people have heard me say that. I think everybody was supposed to be a doctor at some point in their life. But I actually kind of fell into HR through an internship program. And so um, for that reason, I am a big advocate of internships. But I joined an internship with um, a technology company at the time called Digital Equipment. Uh, my father actually was working at the company at the time, and they had an internship program for children of employees, which I was fortunate enough to be able to apply and get accepted into. And I was placed into the HR department at that time, which was known as personnel. And uh, not knowing really what that was, I was 18 years old, just new into college, trying to explore to figure out what I wanted to do. And I really almost immediately fell in love with just how much interaction the people in the department had with all functions within the business. And I thought, wow, this could be really interesting and uh, had some great role models and mentors. And that sort of opened the door to me into actually what would be over a 30-year career in HR. 
Yeah. Well, you've seen a lot of changes in the space over that time, certainly, and, and not, not to mention over the last 18 months, which we'll absolutely get into. I'm imagining if you're watching or listening to this, uh, you don't need an introduction to Coca-Cola. You're probably very familiar with the company, but you may not be familiar with Headcount. You mentioned uh, operations in 200 countries. So maybe if you can frame the size and scope of the business and then your kind of people team specifically to support that business before we dig in. We are, um, as I said, in over 200 countries, um, which is overwhelming and amazing um, as it is. We do have employees around the world, all in all, with our system partners, which are our bottling partners, um, the company and our bottling system partner. We have over 700,000 associates around the world uh, that help us not only um, market and produce our products, but certainly distribute and put them in the hands of our customers and our consumers. In addition to our namesake, Coca-Cola, which a lot of people obviously are familiar with, um, what people may be less familiar with is the fact that we are really a portfolio of beverages company. So we have over 200 products around the world carrying lots of brands that people may not normally associate with Coca-Cola, but we are definitely trying to broaden people's understanding of our portfolio. Some of them include sparkling waters, still waters, juices, coffee, dairy, uh, so a lot of brands that I think you may see on the shelf that you wouldn't think are Coca-Cola products. Fairlife Dairy is a company that we acquired a few years ago. Topo Chico Sparkling Waters. And now we have Topo Chico Hard Seltzers that we've gotten into the business. And Costa Coffee, which is a big European coffee brand. So our products hopefully touch all of you uh, in one way or another. And hopefully there is a beverage of choice in our portfolio for you. If you're drinking a beverage, chances are you're, you're touching some Coca-Cola products. We hope so. We <laughs> hope so. Um, that is our goal. Um, with respect to HR, um, similarly, we have employees around the world that support not only all of our businesses around the world, but we also have centers of excellence and service centers um, in parts of the world that support our employees at a global level. Uh, we have operating units in nine different regions around the world. Uh, we have service centers in Costa Rica and in Europe. Um, and in uh, other parts of the world. And the employees of the HR function, if you will, touch every aspect of our business from supply chain to the functions to a sales and marketing organization. So we like to think of ourselves as being an integral part of the success of delivery for our products. You mentioned you've been with Coca-Cola for about two years. Um, you know, Obviously, you were under a year before the global pandemic uh, really hit and completely shifted business operations for many organizations. And I imagine, you know, Coca-Cola was impacted as well. And I'm curious, like looking back, you know, you, you, you come as a new chief people officer, you come in and you kind of inherit some existing processes, obviously in systems, and then something like the pandemic hits and you have to adjust and calibrate in a way that accounts for the situation and also begins implementing kind of your own vision of how you want that people function to support the business. And so could you walk me through, like, as the pandemic expanded last year, how did it kind of retool your, your, your people operations and your approaches? One of the main reasons I made the decision to join Coca-Cola is because James Quincy, our CEO, when he and I were speaking about the opportunity, told me that the company was about to go through significant transformation. I don't think he knew that a pandemic was coming, but, you know, it's possible. Um, and so for me, that was particularly exciting for a company that's, you know, 134 years old, like Coca-Cola, to be able to go through true transformation. Um, and I tend to like change. If you look at the history of the companies I've worked for, 
most of them have been in some state of change and evolution. And that's what excites me and energizes me. So I was excited by, by that. So I sort of knew that we were going to go through some sort of change and transformation. And our agenda when I joined two years ago was really around growth. So as I said, this portfolio of products, not just the one or two, three products that people know us for, but how do we grow our business? What I obviously didn't expect was that the change would happen so quickly and that it would be in such a dramatic way. But what I think ended up happening actually is the timing of the changes really gave us an opportunity to accelerate what we already knew we had to go through, which was this transformation. We had to rethink the way we structure our businesses around the world to get more efficient uh, around deployment. Being in 200 countries is wonderful, but you can also imagine that sometimes every country thinks they have to do things their own way, um, and that's not really efficient nor scalable. Um, and quite frankly, you know, our products, we want consistency where um, our consumers can depend on that. And so it gave us a chance to do that. But more importantly, in December of 2019, we rolled out our sort of refreshed purpose statement, right? So we sort of said to ourselves, who are we as a Coca-Cola company? A lot of people know the brand, they know our products, but what do we stand for as a company? And before the pandemic, we launched this purpose statement, which was to refresh the world and make a difference. And as we went into the pandemic, that became our North Star. That really became the thing that we used to anchor in on what do we want to be known for? How do we want our employees to feel about the company? How do we want our consumers to feel about how we show up? And so I wouldn't say it was you know, easy, but it certainly made it um, more aligned because almost all the decisions that we made during the pandemic, whether it was to keep our people home because of safety, to keep our plants um, operating um, with extra safety protocols, to make sure that um, things were happening around all our businesses. We did it through the lens of purpose. We knew that in cases of businesses like Costa Coffee, which is retail, that keeping our coffee shops open was important to healthcare workers because they needed food, they needed coffee, they needed. So we had uh, to think through what do we need to do to be there for our people, whether it's communities, customers, or employees. And so having that purpose statement really, really helped. And then again, as we thought about this remote working, which I know we'll get more into, we put that at top of mind too. How do we make sure that people can be productive while maintaining their personal and psychological safety and taking care of their families? I think without the launch of the purpose, it might have taken us a little longer to navigate how do we make decisions and how do we anchor on it. But because we had that, it was easy to go back and say, you know, what's the right thing to do? We want to make a difference to our employees, our customers, and our consumers. So um, that really helped us a lot. Yeah, you know, that's interesting. I think that the timing of that, obviously, you know, it's hard to use the word fortunate when you're talking about a global pandemic. But I think having that as your North Star that you could kind of calibrate all of that change and tie, tie it back to had to be really helpful. And I'm curious from a culture standpoint, like, you, you know, you're operating at a scale and scope that, uh, you know, it's very a small amount of, of CHROs and CPOs really get to kind of operate at that, at that level. Um, when you think about culture, kind of um, you're, you were already kind of going through this change and transformation before the pandemic, the pandemic gets quickly coupled with that. Um, now you're in a situation where you have, some of your workforce around the world um, you know, are essential and they have to go into manufacturing plants and places. 
Others are working remotely. So you have almost every category and classification of employee happening in different regions that are experiencing the pandemic in different ways. So how did you think about culture and kind of building and, and supporting and nurturing culture during all of that change? Well, I mean, I think, again, going back to purpose and values. Um, so our organization has been a longstanding company with inherent values of consumers and communities. And so we were able to kind of leverage that throughout this pandemic. I mean, as you said, we literally watched the pandemic move its way through the world, through our businesses, starting in China and then moving across every country. It's what it was like a domino, the next one, the next one. And, and we knew that each office that it hit would have some reaction to it. So to, to one extent, it was helpful to have that because we could say, oh, here's what happened in Asia. We now know how to prepare for the other regions. So that was somewhat helpful. What we did do, though, is we definitely made sure that people prioritized the basics, right? I mean, you think about the Maslow's hierarchy. I mean, where you know, it used to be the things that were um, sort of self-fulfillment and self-actualization became basics, safety, food, uh, access to um, basic supplies and, and getting around and health and all that. So we really honed in on that with all of our employees around the world and said, look, the most important thing is that you and your families are safe and healthy. And so we encouraged people to look after themselves from that perspective. We added things like pay time off if you um, had to quarantine because you were exposed to COVID through work. Um, we extended our sick pay. We did things to try to make sure that people were taking care of themselves and that they didn't have to choose between personal health and safety and sort of their jobs, right? And so that, I think, was really, really important because at a time when people were worried about keeping their jobs, we didn't want them to have to choose literally between life and death, right? Being exposed to the virus, possibly getting sick and, and dealing with that. So some of the things that we did do were to try to address that um, in places where we could. And then we, again, just tried to focus in on transparency of communication. Uh, we did more town halls than I think um, we've done kind of in the history of the company, as did, I think, a lot of companies. And we had our senior leaders, our CEO, our CFO, myself, doing them very frequently and just checking in with people and giving them updates, not only on the business, but on the state of health around the world and giving people you know, permission really to take care of themselves and encouraging them to make sure that they were trying to find the balance. Because remember too, which it seems so far away, but there were lots of families that were homeschooling children while trying to juggle working. And I, you know, my children are grown, but I had a lot of sympathy for the families who had young children that, you know, you're trying to Zoom do kindergarten at the same time as you're trying to do a strategic plan. So we just tried to, again, open up the empathy and sympathy envelope and say, look, be cognizant and mindful of what people are going through. And uh, we kind of all have to do it together. Hey, everyone. I hope you're enjoying the show. I want to take a brief break to share a new initiative that I think you'll find helpful. Redefining HR started with this podcast and evolved into a best-selling book laying a framework for modern HR and people operations. I'm excited to share the next evolution, the Redefining HR Accelerator. The Accelerator is a full platform to build, inspire, and support the next generation of people leaders, including cohort programs, courses, open source resources, and most importantly, community. 
Thanks to listeners like you, Redefining HR is now broadened into a tire platform focused on building readiness for tomorrow's HR today. Learn more at redefininghr.com. And now, back to the show. I have two young daughters, um, first grade and pre-K, and so my wife was a teacher. Uh, I was a part-time teacher. It was just, uh, it, it's, it's an experience. And I think as we kind of begin moving through this, and obviously we're not through this yet, um, but there, there are glimmers of, of hope uh, that we're, we're starting to formulate our plans of what work looks like kind of beyond the pandemic. And so a lot of organizations are, you know, developing and or, and or still evaluating their, you know, return to workplace, return to office, however you want to call it, plans. Um, how are you approaching this at Coca-Cola? Like, how are you thinking? Obviously, you've got a, a complex global workforce uh, in, in all different kinds of facets. So how do you think about your kind of overarching, you know, return to workplace or post-pandemic work plans? We're very focused on sort of organizing the way people work based on the work, not based on a place, right? So if your work requires you to be at a place, as you said, manufacturing or people in the labs, then obviously that's an important you know, tool that you need to be able to, to perform your work. So that might dictate a more regular schedule in the office or in the facilities. But for others and a good majority of our employees that were able to and have been working remotely. We're still not back in the office. It's um, you know July 9th, and we're still not back in the office yet and won't be until after Labor Day. We have really tried to take the learnings that we've gotten from being able to productively work remotely, and we're moving that into the workspace. We are excited to welcome people back to our campus in Atlanta, our corporate headquarters, as well as offices around the world. And in some places, we are already fully back. Um, like in China and other other countries, um, and in other countries, it'll it'll be longer than past the U.S. Labor Day for that to happen. But what we find is, like everyone else, we've done a lot of surveys, we've done a lot of listening, um, we've reflected on our own selves, and the general consensus is people want to maintain some flexibility. Uh, I think we've all enjoyed the benefits of having more flexibility, whether it's not sitting in traffic or being able to get home at a decent hour for dinner or being able to exercise and, and all of these other things. And so what we are planning to do is approach return to office in the same mentality. When is it that you need to come together? We call it sort of purposeful gathering. And when can we be together to be together versus being separate together, right? So when you're separate together, everybody comes into a building and then goes to their respective workplaces and works independently. That just doesn't even make sense anymore, right? If you're going to be working independently, stay home, work from, you know, wherever is most comfortable for you that you can be productive and get your work done. But when you come together, which we believe is important um, as a business that's really driven by consumers and community, we think it's important to come together. And uh, we, but we want to do it purposefully, right? So we're creating a concept um, around neighborhoods where people um, as teams will come together and sit sort of in community spaces. We're having um, planning to have people have more flexibility to determine what days they're in the office or what days they're out based on the work. And then the other dynamic that we have is being global. We have worked more globally than I think we have ever worked before, which means time zones and, and differences around the world. And so being sensitive to that is something that we've really come to appreciate. And so we're encouraging people to think through that as they think about their return to work plans. But I think there's a very small population of people 
that will come back to work the way we used to work, which is five days a week in a cube, in an office, in a building. I think that's the case uh, at scale for many, if not most companies. And, and if you look at the evolution from kind of traditional HR, and, and you know, we, we've both been doing this for a couple of decades now to kind of HR today, it's so radically different. And part of the shift is moving from what maybe historically were more kind of formulaic playbooks around how to approach the different facets of HR to creating something that's, that's much more flexible, it's more agile, it's adaptive based on, you know, you know, VUCA circumstances that are beyond our control. It's easy to think about that in a, a startup or a small organization. It's a very different conversation and thought process at scale. So like, how do you think about innovation and kind of adapting your people processes at the scale and complexity with which you work? Some of the things that we're trying to do is shape even HR. We're moving from a kind of managing by policy, which HR is famous for, to managing by principles. What are the principles, the guiding principles around work? For example, one of the guiding principles for us is, you know, we, we trust and believe in the empowerment in our employees, but we also believe in communities and we believe in working together across what we call a network. And so using those as principles, um, as opposed to you must be in the office this many days a week, or you must work you know, outside the office this many days a week. We're trying to give people the freedom to architect that based on the work itself. People can be successful. They can grow their careers. They can get promoted. They can accomplish great results by still managing their work in this dynamic, fluid way versus the old industrial model of I need to see your butt in that seat every single day. What our role in HR and as people leaders is, is to make sure that we don't over-rotate to people being in the office as being, oh, they're here all the time, so therefore they're more dedicated than the people that aren't here. I mean, those rules, they're gone now, but we have to vote with you know our feet, really. We have to show that you can have a successful, dynamic, growing career. You can have exposure. You can have opportunities. You can get assigned um, interesting work by virtue of the work you do, not by where you sit. So more to come. I think we probably need to have um, an episode two follow up after, you know, a, a year or so of seeing how this all works. But I actually think, Lars, that this is something that all companies are struggling with. Right. So you have the extremes of companies who say, I need everybody in the office. And then you have the companies that say, oh, if we never see you again, it's fine. I don't know what's right. I think it's going to depend on the companies and on the people. And I do think that there will be some people that will find this new ambiguous world uncomfortable. They may be more comfortable in either a more rigid environment or a less structured environment. And I think that's just all, that just has to shake itself out over time. Yeah, no, I think you're spot on. I, I, you know, I, I envision the next 18 months is probably going to be a period of adaptation, learning, adjustments, like companies, even that are making firm commitments to one structure Two months later, they've pivoted and they've changed, and that's already happened. So I, I think I think that's actually healthy. I think what's when companies are at least listening to their employees and, and they're co-creating that experience with them as opposed to creating to them uh, or for them. Uh, I think that's going to win. And ultimately, it's all about flexibility. It's not you know they're, they're, we're not in a world of absolutes anymore in HR. It's not you know everybody comes to an office and you know Monday, work happens Monday through Friday and nine to five. Like those are industrial era holdover constructs that just aren't really relevant in today's world. So it's exciting to see 
kind of what we build coming out of this. And related to that, one of the biggest challenges in for executives in all roles and certainly in the HR role is the level of complexity of the external factors that are impacting the internal business. You know, it's never been more important to be informed of what's happening at, at society and business and technology um, while you're managing the demands of a very demanding job. And so where do you get your information from? How do you kind of stay informed and abreast of, of all the different changes that are happening around you? That's a really great question. I mean, obviously, I would say the news, but we know that 50% of what's out there might not be true. So I think it's it's staying abreast of trends in the business world, right? Not only through the industries, associations that we're part of, um, but certainly in participating in the business reviews that our own company does, or as, as well as you know, Consumer Goods Forum and other places where we like to learn what's going on in business. Um, I think Staying connected with my peers at other companies has been really an important part of my own career journey, which is I have found so much benefit from being connected with other CHROs that we can all have sort of our, our huddle space and we can bounce ideas off each other and share things and, and learn, you know, who's doing what and how's it working and how's not. And it's always, um, you know, it, I have found it to be a very welcoming community where we don't want the other to fail. And so we're happy to share our wounds and our mistakes along the way for the benefit of others. So I think that's been really helpful. What I would say is really interesting, and I'm not sure that as a parent, I would have said this, you know, even a decade ago, but I learn a lot from my children. They obviously are very in tune with what's going on through social media, some of which is not necessarily accurate, but it does inform and shape behavior and it does inform and shape culture. Um, out in the masses, which filters into the workplace. So um, I think one of the largest impacts um, on businesses today is the advocacy and the activism that's happening with employees. Yeah. And all of that's happening through social platforms. So um, am I active on social media? No, I'm not a big active poster of, you know, Snapchat or Twitter or, or all the other, um, what's the other, TikTok or all those other ones. Um, but I do try to keep up with what's going on out there because it does sort of lend to what our employees are doing and saying and hearing. And what we have found is the power of social media um, is really startling. You know, it, people have a voice irrespective of whether that voice is necessarily earned uh, or not. And so as a company, we have to stay in tune with sort of what's going on out there. So my counterparts in our public affairs and communications teams have been working nonstop um, during this, uh, this period of time because, you know, I think social media activity, there's probably a correlation between that and the pandemic because we all went into our homes and social media usage went up. Um, so I think that's another place that I try to at least just keep a pulse on, on what's happening. Last question for you before we jump into the lightning round. You know, when you think about, we're kind of at this pivotal moment in HR uh, where we're we're building something new that didn't exist before as we're kind of adapting our process, whether they're hybrid, remote, thinking about mental health and wellness, um, being much more deliberate and intentional around equity and representation within organizations. What are you most excited about? Like when, when you're when you see this opportunity that we have to kind of reshape the very field. What what aspect of that gets you most excited? I'm excited about all of it, but I think the big headline for me is the fact that during this 
crazy pandemic year that we've had, as well as the social justice issues we've been experiencing, the political divide we've been having, I think there's never been a time, at least in my career, where HR has been at the center of almost everything that a company has had to focus on, right? So obviously the products and and our business was still important, but if you ever said that, you know, human capital is your most important asset, that became more true during the pandemic than ever. So what I'm excited about is I think we gained a seat, we earned a seat during that period of time because so much of what companies had to do went back to the basics of taking care of employees, making sure that we were on the right side of history, speaking up for the things that were values that the company stood by, et cetera. So I think between that and being able to show the business, what I'm really proud of our team is we have made strides in converting the conversation with our business leaders from the what was formerly known as the soft and fuzzies. I know you're going to ask me about my, my least favorite buzzword. Soft and fuzzy is one of them because HR was always associated with that. Right. And instead, talk about data and analytics and insights. We have more data and insights now on our people, their sentiment, how they work, what they feel than we've ever had before. Using that to go back in to talk to our C-level team and say, look, here's what we know. The correlation between X and Y is this. Therefore, we think these actions need to take place or the success rate of our leaders is exponentially higher if they possess these two or three attributes. That to me is so exciting because then you see the light bulbs go off and the leaders are kind of like, oh, my gosh, you know, this is real stuff. It's not the squishy stuff. It makes sense. So I think that the the future of HR is doubling down on that, making sure that we're at the seat, we're at the table We're having those conversations and we're able to push the agendas forward, not as add-ons, but as integrated parts of the business strategy, right? HR should should never be sort of an add-on. It has to be fully integrated. And I think in the year that we've had, I think we were able to show that we add value in that. And uh, I'm excited about making sure that we stay there and that we continue to accelerate that. Yeah. It's an exciting time. And I appreciate you coming on and kind of share your experience and approach. And uh, we may have to get that round two going uh, next year to see where we end up with all these changes that are happening. But uh, I do want to close out with a little thing we do on the show called the lightning round, just to help the uh, listeners get to know you a little bit better. So are you ready to jump in? Ready. All right. I'm, uh, I'm checking out your Spotify playlist. Who am I going to learn are your top three artists? Number one is Rod Stewart. Save the commentary. Michael Bublé and uh, Colby Kelly. All right. I, I, I like them all. And uh, I'm a big Yacht Rock. I, you know, Rod Stewart isn't Yacht Rock, but I'm, I, I've got a deep uh, <laughs> affinity for Yacht Rock. So I, I appreciate the genre. Um, what is your least favorite HR buzzword? Besides soft and fuzzy? Besides, yeah, yeah. I'm going to take that off the table because you already gave that to yeah, us. So we've got we to pick a new one. Fuzzy. Um, I, I think it's uh, process for process sake. Mm. Um, I think it's just... You know, we're known for that and I'm trying to blow that up. So yeah, I like that. And I, I wish you luck with the, with the explosions. <laughs> um, what is your favorite HR function? Oh, that's like asking to choose between your I children. I know, I know. It's a very unfair question. Um, I, I think the function itself, I would just say is talent. Yeah. Um, everything talent, talent management, talent development, talent acquisition, just anything that allows us to take care of our people from a talent perspective. Um, and if you weren't doing, if you weren't working in HR, what would you be doing? Well, if I could make a living out of it, I'd probably be doing like paper products or 
a fun gift shop or something. I'm, I'm a purveyor and a curator of pretty things. I just, I like wrapping paper. I like stationery. I like things that, you know, would never, ever actually make a, a real live job out of it unless I just owned a really successful store. But um, I, I like my favorite thing to do was to kind of see little small shops um, and things like that. So maybe that'll be my retirement plan. Oh, well, there you go. That's, that, that, that's a door that's open to you, I think. Um, and the last question for Lisa, uh, who is one uh, peer, one HR leader who you admire and why? Yeah, um, I'm going to name two only because um, it's hard again to choose. And there are so many, um, but two in particular, Kathleen Hogan from Microsoft and um, Rhonda Morris from Chevron are two women that I just look up to so much because I think their view of HR is the way that I try to be, which is they both have the benefit of having come from the business side into HR, um, whereas I've spent most of my career in HR. And what I think they bring to it is a very common sense approach, but everything that they do is integrated around the business. So when you see the work that Kathleen does with Microsoft um, as they launch products and tools, she's had her fingerprints on it from an HR perspective, but it doesn't feel like you're being HR'd. Um, so I think those two ladies do a great job of making sure that, again, HR is an integrated part of your business and is not something that's separate. And uh, I admire both of them for that. Well, Lisa, thanks so much for coming on the show, sharing your experience and your wisdom with me and the listeners. And I uh, really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Lars. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Redefining HR. For more information on the podcast, past episodes, future guests, the Redefining HR book, or free resources, be sure to check out redefininghr.com. And if you dig this podcast, why don't you share it with your CEO, your executive team, and your friends to help them discover what Redefining HR is all about. If you really dig this podcast, I'd love for you to leave a review on whatever podcast delivery vehicle your ears prefer. See you next week.